Hi, everybody, and... Uh, wait, no, 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 wait. Yep, now I'm ready. Okay. Hi, everybody. We can do this. <laughs> okay, hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of All Films Are Bad with Tom and Seb. Um, after some technical difficulties, uh, we, are, <laughs> we are recording our episode um, on Elaine May's 1976 movie, Mikey and Nikki. I almost said Dog Day Afternoon. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, Same diff. Like, honestly, they kind of are. <laughs> two men and their friends, and there's lots I of mean, sort of two. sweaty faces and, like, red you know, everyone's, like, blotchy. Sweaty faces. Both movies, as I think many movies from the 70s are, are about my my conflicted feeling that men are hot and then to see the way they interact with women is to be upset. Mm, mm, um, mm-hmm. Anyway. Um, um, <laughs> hi. Uh, I gave Seth this movie because this uh, is a really good movie. And yeah. I sort of wanted... I wanted you to sort of, like... I said this earlier, and sorry, your listeners, we had to, like, delete an audio track because the connection was bad, but I love Peter mm-hmm. Falk. I think he it does it for me. He's the whole package. He's sort of, like, a perfect 10, uh, you know, body, yeah. mind, talent. <laughs> um, he, like, really does it all for me, and I wanted to sort of introduce you to him, um, and perhaps now... Like, I literally, like, the second this movie was over, pulled up an episode of Columbo on YouTube, and I'm saving it as, like, a nice little fun treat for me. Yeah. I So I had never seen Peter Falk in anything except The Princess Bride mm. before. And after I watched this, I went and watched an episode of Columbo. And then I went, I started to watch John Cassavetti's Husbands, mm. and I um, just, like, did not make it through that movie. Not because it's a bad movie, because I was, like, tired, so I'm halfway through. But, um... Uh, yeah, he's really, really, he reminds me, honestly, of Bill Shatner in a very, um, good way. Now, like, see, to me, that's an insult. You know, I respect that. Um, he's much, a, he's a better actor than Bill Shatner, but he has a similar kind of, like, handsome, like, his, his whole, his whole thing of handsomeness. Yeah. His whole, like, everything he does is about handsomeness is a very unique quality in an actor, I think. Because most actors, like, I don't know. There's something particular about Peter Falk's handsomeness that is, like, really special. He's just like a, Uh, whenever I look at him, and he's always wearing the Columbo coat. So, like, the coat, like, is almost, it, like, is not very dissimilar from his skin tone. So he looks just sort of like yeah. a big rumpled coat. Like his whole body is just rumpled, you know? I And he's like, yes, his, he's, his eyes have that squint. Um, and yeah, I, mm, I he love him. He is the 1970s. He really is. Yeah. He looks like he just. He I'm, is. The, yeah. Yeah. A Go nice ahead. hot cup of coffee. Tell me what he looks like. Uh, like a beautiful. A hot cup of coffee. Paper bag on the, on a dirty street. Yeah, he's, 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 um, the song, the Suzanne Vega song about being in a coffee shop that's like, do, 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 do. You like, know, that Tom's Diner, Tom's Diner, uh, Columbia Institution. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers, Cheers. to that. Um, okay, so Mikey and Nikki is a <laughs> good Mikey movie. and Nikki. Um, it's about these two guys who, uh, are, like, low-level gangsters in 
Philadelphia, the, wow, poignant city of brotherly love. Um, and yeah. Makes you think. Literally makes you think, dude. Um, and they have sort of a nighttime odyssey. I'm literally stealing these like quotes from the Criterion website, basically. Sorry, everyone. Um, yeah, they have a they have a nighttime escapade of one of them thinks that there's a hit out on him. And so he call, John Cassavetti is, is Nikki. He thinks there's a hit out on him. Um, and uh, he calls his friend Mikey to take care of him. Uh, but has no plan of how Mikey should do that. And so the movie is just Mikey being like, all right, do you want to get a ticket out of town given that there's a hit out on you? And Nikki's like, no, I want to go to a bar and then a movie. No, actually to my mother's grave. And he just is trying to like corral and take care of him. And then you realize that in fact, Mikey Peter Falk is in on the contract on Nikki's head and is a Judas. And um, <laughs> crazy for uh, you to say that. It's crazy, but it's true. And so it's a thing of like, and there's this essay that um, in Bright Wall, Dark Room, is that what that website's called? Um, their current issue is about Elaine May. So there's an essay about this movie and about how it's it constantly forces you to um, like shift allegiances of like which of these two men you trust until you realize that in fact you can't trust either of these men. Um, and the idea of like Mick, Mickey, Mikey, Mikey being the responsible one. Mickey is the ship name. Um, Mikey being the responsible <laughs> one and Mickey being the fuck up <laughs> is like um, not, not all that's going on. And that in fact, both of them are very fucked up bad people. Yeah. But it's like, like truly until, I don't know, like, like, and I really think that Falk like does, like, sorry, I'm, it's like Falk talk, but Falk yeah. talk. This is welcome. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Falk Talk. Um, this is our, our to podcast. first episode. Literally, we stole it. Um, uh, but like Falk his cast. sort of wow. innate, like warmth and like, like he's so like I literally he literally like is a. I look at his face and I'm just like tranquilized. I become sort yeah. of like, like a deer in headlights. I just sort of go entirely limp. Because I'm so at ease in his presence. Um, yeah. And then when he's he... He's like wine. He's like a nice... He's yeah. like a nice wine. But I'm like sleepy all of a sudden. And I like... Right. I'm just very like tired and warm. Um, yeah. But he, so when he turns, which he does like... He begins to turn very early on when you realize that he's like got... He's like helping to kill his only friend. Um yeah, like, and then I guess until we get to the scene with Carol Grace in her apartment, um, mm -hmm. that's that's the first time where I am repulsed by him. Whereas with Cassavetes, yes. I'm repulsed by him a lot earlier. Because you, yeah, you get mean, the sense that Falk is his conscience. Falk is sort of functioning as his guide through this, like, this sort of, like, you know, Dante's Inferno of a... Hell. Right. He's his Virgil. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's, yeah, I am, I agree that, like, I didn't become repulsed by him until I saw the way that he treated, like, the first woman to appear in the movie. Mm. Um, uh, but I was, like, there's, so the, one of the things that happens in the, in the first 25 minutes of the movie that's just, like, him, Mikey taking care of Nikki is that he 
um, Nikki has an ulcer, and so Mikey, like, holds him down and makes him take some medicine about it, and, like, <laughs> um, then has to go get him some milk and cream at the diner, and he, like, attacks the man at the diner uh, because the man won't get him the cream, and he, like, jumps over the counter and, like, lunges at him, and um, it's very, like, a thing that immediately it's like, okay, makes you think, we love to see this man be insane about how he loves his friend, but we don't love to see him attack a person yeah. about it, attack an innocent bystander about it. And it's very, like, immediately, like, it makes you think about masculinity. Um, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Literally big brains. Um, it makes you think about it, yeah. So you were saying that this movie filmed three used three times as much film as gone with the wind yes about almost three filming. times it's like 2.7 i don't know like but like a like a staggering uh, only 2.7 um yeah because elaine may wanted to sort of capture because she famously like comes from an improv background a comedy background right. she and nichols had this duo that then broke up and they went their separate paths um and but both yeah. became filmmakers and i think that her life in Chicago and her sort chi town represent um represent her like yeah her her interest in spontaneity um yeah made her like the perfect person to sort of like capture these little like weird moments of business like when when yeah. Peter Falk is running back up to the hotel room with the milk he like yeah. slips and falls like face plants just on the like hallway of the thing and I assume yeah. that just happened like I don't know it's, right. it, it's like more than that I, I'm, I feel like I'm part, making it there, sound there, right just, sorry say that again I, no, I just feel like I'm making it sound right but what were you gonna say no yeah it's the thing that like is the best about a movie I feel is when actors do a thing in a movie that you couldn't describe in stage directions mm. right like there's a part in the first little section of the movie where Mikey, like, takes Nikki and, like, gives, like, massages his neck, but also holds his face. And, like, <laughs> him. And it's a gesture that you couldn't describe as in, in, in stage directions or, like, as a writer. Like, it's a gesture that has no, um, it's not a gesture. It's, like, an action. Yeah. Right? It's not like, I, now I will hold my friend's face because that's what my character is doing in this moment. It's, like, a pure, organic gesture of comforting and affection that like doesn't confine itself to one action yeah. it's like amazing um and i the thing that i find weird about this movie is like the amount of chemistry that they have together is like like staggering like it's crazy yeah. they it's immediately crazy. and like but weirdly this movie like falk gave cassavetes the script to this movie before they had ever worked together so, like, they were attached wow. to this movie together before they had done anything. And then, of course, went on to make Husbands and A Woman Under the Influence and, like, a thousand other things. Um, right. But, like, this wow. movie actually was going to come first until it entered this whole legal dispute. Uh, because Elaine May shot so much footage that the studio sued her. Um, wow. Because they were like, you spent... It, I think it was the equivalent of, like... 16.5 million dollars to in today's dollars which like for a movie this small and this dark that no one's gonna right. want to go see is like quite a bit of money especially for elaine may who at that time was the third woman to ever direct a movie in the sound era in hollywood yeah like jesus crazy 
Um, Jesus. So the studio that's sued the, her. That's the coolest thing I've ever heard. And have you seen the pictures of her? Because I'll, I'll, we'll tweet these. There's a picture of her directing on set, and she looks so hot. It's absolutely staggering. It's so good. I think I have. Yeah, I she think looks Sam really posted hot. it. Also, yeah. hi, Sam. Um, hi, Sam. Uh, but yeah, so the studio sued her, and at one point, like, they, like, literally the police knocked on her then-husband's door and were like, hey, do you have the reels of footage that she stole? Because she stole two reels of film that they, like, could the studio couldn't get back, so they couldn't release the movie. So she was, like, holding them captive, and it was this whole crazy thing. She, like, really scammers wow. only. She's amazing. Um, wow. But then... It's like, yeah, wow. Uh, I think... What ended up happening was the studio released their version, and then two years later, in 78, Elaine May and her executive producer um, released a second version that cut to, like, ten minutes from the theatrical. That's, like, the version that I think is now available. Got it. What did they cut? Do you know? I don't know. Um, hmm. But it's odd that they would cut. I would think, like, if she was so yeah. into, like, filming so much, you would think that she would just add in a bunch more business, but... That's so odd. So that's really like, there's a lot of stuff going on there for me in that story, which is like third woman ever to direct a movie. Um, crazy. And also like the like bad boy auteur behavior mm. of using so much money that the studio studio is like fabulous. <laughs> and it's like, Ansel Elgort could never. She is the anti-capitalist icon. That's exactly what I was thinking. It's like Ansel Elgort, anti-capitalist icon, wishes <laughs> that he was Elaine May. But it's like she made a good movie. I know. She watched the studio and made a good movie. Yeah. Like, the power that that has. <laughs> Her mind. Ugh. Her mind. Um, I think, but I think in that, like, they shot something like, almost a hundred days or maybe more than a hundred days. Like it was so much time they shot on location in Philly and they had to move to LA because Peter Falk had to keep filming Columbo. Like it was so arduous and I, you can really feel yeah. that. Like it feels right. tired, you know, and you're also reaching the end of their friendship and like, it just feels like weary. You really like can sense. Yeah. The scene where, like, Mikey, where they have the big fight and they, like, break up, where Mikey explains why he's angry at, at Nikki, which is that Nikki, like, insulted him in front of the gangster. It's that so they petty. For. I love it. It's amazing. And then they fight. They roll around and fight yeah. in the street like nothing I've ever seen. I want like, to talk it, about I that I can't scene. imagine that that fight was, like, fight choreographed. Like, I think they're just holding each other and rolling around. <laughs> they're literally not even punching like it's it it's shot genuinely and a lot of people have commented on this it's shot yeah. like a love scene like it's like yeah. they're dancing because they're not right they're just they're kind not. of pushing each other and like writhing yeah. against each other it's yeah hot it's good it's yeah it's amazing and it's amazing and especially i think all the more poignant after this sort of like like, Falk is turned down by Cassavetti, like, uh, by Cassavetti's girlfriend, like, and there's this whole, I don't know, she's, she really is going in on homosociality and homoeroticism in a way. Um, yeah, between men by Eve Sedgwick. Yeah, um, really. it's, so what happens is that 
Nikki is like, I want to, since it's my last day alive, I want to go have sex with a girl. Um, and so he takes Mikey to the home of this like woman he's been seeing and he wants Mikey to have sex with her. <laughs> and so he like, and she is really uncomfortable and he, and like, um, it's like a, such a horrible, painful scene. It's like, he, there, she's trying to like have a conversation. She's like, I'm interested in knowing about the, about Indochina and, and Nikki is like trying to make out with her and she's like, please stop. And, um, uh, what was I going to say? It's, there's a part where he's like trying to kind of rust with her that reminded me intensely of the part in Brokeback Mountain where Ennis like tries to roughhouse with Michelle Williams and she's like, what are you doing? Yeah, like, she's like, don't do can't. that. She's like, don't do that, because he like he thinks the way that you flirt is to wrestle with each other, <laughs> and she's like, no. Um, uh, but it, yeah, and so then he like he like, like kind of deuces her and is like telling her that he loves her and making out with her, and then all the while there's a, in the shot like Mikey is sitting in the kitchen awkwardly, and then he goes into the kitchen. He's like, okay, now you can go have sex with her, and so Mike tries to do that, and it's like horrible, and she bites him, and. Anyway, it's like, it's like a really a crystallization of like, men love to be gay and also love to be horrible to women. Yeah. Um, that was very, really tough to watch because I kept being like, it reminded me, a, a thing that this movie reminded me a lot of was Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, mm -hmm. a movie about a male friendship, but it's made by a man. And so it's purely celebratory of male friendship, mm. and right? And there's a part in that movie where um, Butch has sex with a woman while Sundance is just, like, sitting watching. Um, and it's like, she's cool with it in, the, in that movie. She's like, this is fine. Um, but in this movie, it's, like, coercive and horrible. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, that scene is... is uh is awful it's like it's not even like i i genuinely don't like feel like it's almost even appropriate to really unpack on our funny joke podcast right yeah because yeah, it's like no, so sure. awful and like difficult to watch um yeah because like i don't know maybe you feel differently but like up till then the movie is just like a fun time, a fun bad time for all, and then that really is yeah. um, just awful. I think, yeah. Before that is the part where Nikki intentionally goes into uh, a bar whose clientele are all black people and like tries to start a fight by being right. obliquely racist. Yeah, um, and it's like, okay, I yeah. really don't like this man. Another moment um, of just awful. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, so, it's another thing in this essay, hold on, I'm going to look up again who the, who the author of this essay is in um, Bright Wall Darkroom. Um, uh, this Travis Woods essay is that, um, or no, it's not a Travis Woods essay, it's a different essay that he cites, anyway, we'll link all of this, um, is that, like, the question of, like, Elaine May kind of bringing together these two different intellectual traditions of the 70s, which are, like, 70s cinematic machismo and radical feminism, mm. both of which are um, intellectual traditions that argue that men are inherently and irredeemably terrible. Mm. Um, 
And the question is like, does Elaine May hate women or hate men? Cause like one hates the men in this movie, but one doesn't like, one pities the women, but one doesn't like identify with or celebrate them in it. Like it's very, it's just very nihilistic. Yeah. Um, yeah, it really is like bad to watch. Um, in yeah. that way. I think, and I think the reason, like I was reading somewhere, I think maybe on a Criterion article that like this movie was like, these characters were like something that Elaine may have been like thinking about for a really long time. Like they're based mm -hmm. on men in her family. Like her family had mob connections. I don't know her immediate oh, wow. family, but like, like in her sort of childhood, I think like, which, and you know, I, so I just saw James Gray's Ad Astra, which is the new Brad Pitt Spaceman movie, which like is a movie right. that after it, like I made the sort of trite, like trivializing joke, like men really love to make movies that are like, I have a dad. Um, but like yeah. this movie does feel like a more, I don't know, I'm being mean to Ad Astra and whatever. Everyone's being nice to Ad Astra, so I don't feel that bad. But like this movie really is like, I have a dad, you know, and it sucks and it, he's bad. Yeah. But like the feeling of like, what, like, what do you do with them? But in this movie, like that, like masculine, like m being a man is like a sickness that like is going to yeah. catch up with you sooner or later. Like yeah. it's going to kill you for sure. Yeah. It's like the, tra their tragic flaw is that they're men. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it, I do think there is some, I think there is like May sort of placing it historically in a way. Like there's the scene near the end of the movie where, uh, like Mikey's wife, like is there, it's sitting in the living room, which is like very stiff and uncomfortable and looks like a TV set. Like it, it's just sort of awful to be in. Yeah. And he's trying to have a conversation with her about his like, brother her his dead brother who he never told her about and she they're yeah. like trying to connect but it's impossible because they're so far away from each other and it's staged like that but she then begins talking about his son who we never like he never really talks about but she's like yeah at yeah. school you know he's taking sewing classes and the girls are taking shop classes because they're trying to so like may i do think is sort of nodding to though like uh a bit of a glimmer of hope in like the new generation, which, you know, who knows how that worked out pretty bad, but like, I do think she's, yeah, I don't think she's a complete nihilist. I think that just for the, for these men, for this sort of generation, she doesn't see much of a way out. Yeah. And it's, I don't know if it's just because of like Peter Falk's performance, but you do get a sense in that scene where he tries to, which is fucking insane that he never told his wife that he had a brother who died. Yeah. Like, Oh my God, I gasped. <laughs> but like it, you do get the feeling of like, um, that he is making an effort and yeah. like there, it does feel like a glimmer of hope, not only in her talking about her son and like the existence of feminism, but also like, in his attempt to reach out toward her, mm. it, um, it, it, it very much, that scene made me feel like it made me think about like a doll's house. And it made me think about like, we could only, I will, I could only be able, when she says to him, I could only be able to return to you if 
um, our relationship changed so completely that it became a real marriage. Yeah. Right. It's like, it is possible to do the work of having his relationship with his wife be as meaningful as his relationship with Nikki, but he has never tried to do that work before. And exactly. now it's too late. Yeah. Um, which is why in the graveyard scene, when they're like, they're going to Nikki's mother's grave. And also there, there's this little thing that Peter Falk does where whenever he like steps over a grave, he says like, excuse me, excuse me. It's really yeah. devastating. Um, but like they're, yeah. they have this moment where they're talking about like, like no one else knows me like you because we have this history that not only I know and you know, but we know it between each other. We validate it. It's like the rec- the self-recognition through the other, but like this sort yeah. of memory as like, ex- like experience of reality validated by someone else. And like the way that they see it is like their wives could never understand because they weren't there. Like they didn't know. There's like a, like, sorry, but it really is like the winter's tale. Like it very much is yeah. like the Leontes Polixenes sort of like we were kids together. And that is a bond that is more vital and sacred than anything that came after it. Yeah, absolutely. It is. Wow. It is very winter's tale. Cause it's also, but very like heterosexuality is bad. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I really hate that. Like, here's the thing. I don't. I didn't want to be like this. Like, whenever I meet someone who's like super into Shakespeare, I'm like, uh huh, yeah. But then I realize that that's me. <laughs> I'm that. Like, yeah. Uh, it's so tough to admit that you like Shakespeare. None of us are free of sin. None of us are free of sin. Yeah. Um, um, it reminded me of the birdcage. It reminded me of Phantom Thread. When he's taking care of him, it's like... I wanted to bring up Phantom Thread. Yeah. yeah. So it reminded me of Phantom Thread in so many ways. Yeah. Um, as, soon as, he, as soon as he was, like, holding him down... <laughs> okay, there's a fucking part where Nikki is, like, still in the throes of his paranoia. <laughs> uh, I, and he's like... He's like, what are you giving me? And he's like, it's poison. <laughs> throws pills at him. He's like, it's poison. <laughs> Fucking take it. And I was like, yeah. Um, <laughs> but it's like, I think the thing about, the thing that reminded me, you were saying this earlier, that like, this is a movie about actors and like, the, yeah. it's a movie about watching actors do their craft as much as it's about anything. And I think that that's, a way in which it's like Phantom Thread, which is like a lot of people that I meet who I talk to about Phantom Thread are like, I hated that movie because it was about an abusive relationship. And I was, and I'm always like, that's really fair that that's how you felt watching that movie. But for me, the characters of Alma and Reynolds, like aren't real people that I can map like normal of relationship dynamics onto. They're two actors just having a great time fighting with each other. And it's very sexy to watch. Yeah. And again, and, like, with this movie, with Mikey and Nikki, it's, like, these do feel like real people, but at the same time, these also feel like John Cassavetes and Peter Falk, like, yes, acting. exactly. And um, what I said earlier was just that, like, it, like, it, it, like, it's such an actor's movie because Elaine May shot so much actor's footage and, like, there's just so much little bits, but also because the two mob bosses are played by Sanford Meisner, who is the inventor of the Meisner Technique, and this other right. like, Chicago acting school sort of like teacher legend guy. Um, 
And maybe that's just because, like, Elaine May knew them and they were all friends, but it does feel like this is, like, the old generation of actors, the new generation of actors, all yeah. gonna duke it out. It feels like a sort of Hollywood flex, in a way. Um, yeah. Or a Chicago flex, perhaps. A Chicago flex, perhaps. Perhaps Chicago is where... Um, they switch yeah. coats at one point. He, like, there's just this whole sort of, like, they are the same brothers, lovers, uh, blending. Um, I don't know. It really... I find it very sad and very, uh, romantic sometimes. Um. Yeah. Mm. It's... It's so hard to honestly imagine, like, knowing that she shot that much film clarifies it for me, because I was like, how did she get these performances out of them? Yeah. Like, it's it's so clearly, like, the exact characters that she had in mind, but it's also so clearly, like, their performances are coming so deeply from within themselves. You know, it's like, it's like with a great portrait photographer, it's like, how did you elicit that truth from that person? Yeah. Just by taking a picture of them, and it's like fucking insane she's so good at directing movies um <laughs> yeah i like and i just love the way that like because she shot so much and because i think a lot of the little bits and stuff were improvised and like little sna- snaps of dialogue were improvised by the actors like there's a lot of she does a lot of like disguising of mouths and sort of faces turned away from the camera that makes mm-hmm. it feel especially in the more intimate moments very like private and sort of like you should like we shouldn't like be here in a way that yeah. I find so lovely and also this sort is of a private dance yeah this is literally a private dance and also feel it feel it makes it feel I think it does call attention to its own materiality when you see like dialogue coming from a mouth that isn't matching the dialogue like yeah it, I, I think it I think that just adds to the thesis of like this is a movie about actors Right. I, I noticed that. I was like, is there really shitty dubbing in this movie? And if so, why? But I think, yeah, you're right. It just, it's Brechtian distancing, baby. Mm. Um, she's a genius. She's a genius. Um, I kind of want to read a little excerpt of this really good essay. Please do. Um, this, is, this is the essay in, there's two essays about this movie in, in, in dark, fucking bright wall dark room. <laughs> and this is one of them. Um, this is by, uh, it's the one that's by the guy, uh, Travis Woods. Um, both are monsters, slowly cannibalizing one another, yeah. feeding into one another's most noxious impulses, each regenerating and degenerating the other in a slow death echo chamber of masculine <laughs> decomposition that developed over 30 years between two devastatingly but not uniquely toxic men each yeah. lost in the tunnel that connects them, each the echo of the other. Um, which yeah. is great. And it's not even, like, they're, it's not just that they're monsters, it's that they're fucking losers, you know? Right. They're, yes. like, awful, but not even sexy. Like, it would be different if this were a mom movie that was, like, very beautiful and glamorous and sort of goodfellas, like... I'm not that I'm saying that Goodfellas is a bad movie because I think Goodfellas is great, but like, it's just very ugly and sad and not even, 
Yeah. It's honestly, I mean, we were comparing it to Dog Day Afternoon before. I think like a, a, a big difference with Dog Day Afternoon is like in Dog Day Afternoon, he treats her really badly. Like she says, I tried to kill myself to get away from you. Yeah. And yet he's still the hero of the movie because what he's doing is heroic. Yeah. Um, and it's like the the kind of pathetic nature of this desperate act that he does um, isn't is only serves to make it more like epic yeah right and it's and uh i love i fucking love that movie it's like one of my favorite movies but i think to compare it to this movie is like nothing that even mikey's even when we think mikey is trying to save nikki he's not a hero yeah um you can tell that he needs this as much as nikki does right um there's this there's the really iconic judith butler paragraph that is like the origin of the the dynamic where she says like (sighs) i'm sorry to be going here but like um there's this judith butler paragraph where she says like uh you think that butch and femme map onto heterosexuality but in fact the butch is radically um uh uh disempowered by her masculinity because her masculinity is actually all about taking care of the femme right Hmm. like that it's not actually about having power over her so much as it is about submitting to her, to, to submitting to her in order to take care of her, right? Um, and this is favorite type of dynamic to see in a film, and I think is part of what hap- is happening in this movie is like, right? Mikey like needs to be taking care of Nikki in order to feel that he like has his shit together, but he doesn't and isn't better actually. Yeah. In the yeah. End. And even, I think, but he doesn't even realize that until, like, maybe even the end of the movie when he, like, is trying to frantically, like, get him away from being killed. Because when you, you get the sense that when he's trying to help the hitman, he's like, I'm fucking over this guy. Like, I don't want to be friends with him anymore. This is, like, done. I'm moving up in the world. He mistreated me. But, like, then it dawns on him that, like, no, this is the only person who has ever loved me in the world yeah and there's and he's he's driving around in the passenger seat with the hitman and they're like looking for nikki and the hitman keeps seeing nikki and being like is that him and mikey's like no that's not him and it's fucking some more jesus stuff um oh my god also peter falk saying the kaddish god also oh yeah that was fucking crazy for me to see is like Oh my god, is Peter Falk Jewish? We gotta look it up. I think so, please. Go to early life Wikipedia. <laughs> um, yeah, there's a part when they're at Nikki's mother's grave um, where Nikki like is laughing because he doesn't know what to do. He's like, I, I got here and now I don't know what to do. Yeah. And um, he starts kind of trying to recite the Kaddish and while Nikki is laughing hysterically and it's like, Orestes... Fasting and Pilates. <laughs> You're so crazy. Zev, what the fuck is wrong with you? Oh my God. Um, it's some very, oh, the other note that I had about it is it's very, um, the scene immediately after Hamlet sees the ghost, the, the graveyard scene. It's very like, uh, I'm sorry it offends you. And no offense, my lord. Yeah, but St. Patrick, there is. Um, it's like crazy stuff. Um, great, great news. <laughs> I have great news for you, Tom. Tell me. Born in New York City, 
Falk was the son of Michael Peter Falk, owner of a clothing and dry goods store, and mm. his wife Madeline, an accountant and buyer. Both of his parents yeah. were Jewish, coming from Poland and Russia on his father's side, and from Hungary and Poland on his mother's side. Whoa, baby! <laughs> yes, baby. Pop those um, bottles. That's so good. There's a part where just like so much dialogue that is like so quintessential. Like he's Nikki's like, what do you think happens when you die? <laughs> and Mikey's like, I'm not going to stand here and entertain questions about what happens when I die. I leave that to the Catholic. <laughs> well, why don't people talk like that anymore? Why um, don't people look like this? Talk like this? This is an, a truly an era. This is a movie about two devils, two truly evil people. And all I can yeah. think about is how horny I am. Just how much I wish I looked like that. How much I wish everybody looks like that. Yeah. This is a movie about how the 1970s were terrible. Mm. Just the worst, <laughs> worst, most awful time to interact with, with men. And the whole time I'm like, man, I wish men were like this. You know? <laughs> like... <laughs> Uh, Elaine May spoke it's to us, crazy. but we didn't listen. We didn't listen. We didn't fucking, we didn't learn. Okay, <laughs> speaking of Jews, um, I have a question for you, Tom. Yeah, what's which up? Which is, can you, talk, can you talk to me a little about Uncut Gems? Oh, um, it's Gem Talk. Uh, I want to put in a little bit of music for Gem Talk. Uh, hi, everybody. Welcome to Gem Talk. This is our podcast about Uncut Gems. Um, I want to tell you people right now, how many times have I seen the Uncut Gems trailer? I want to say one, two, three, four, five, six, seven for all the days of the week that God created on this beautiful yeah. earth. Yeah. Um, and on the seventh Uncut Gems, he rested. And on the seventh um, day, I saw Uncut Gems. I am horny for that movie. I think it looks fucking awesome. Okay, so for me, I don't really understand what's happening. I think it's like funny that A24 is making like a gangster movie and it's funny that it's Adam Sandler and that it's called Uncut Gems but I don't fully understand like what's happening for you guys with <laughs> this movie is it that it feels like a 70s movie like explain what explain the nature of the mystique to me I think it feels like yeah. a 70s movie um I don't know if you saw Good Time which is a movie that I all mm -hmm. definitely have issues with but that I feel like has some extremely I don't know like I'm it's here okay the movie is like I think not ad adequately investigating uh the way that it perpetrates violence against black people and women that said I think that Robert Pattinson in that movie is so incredible and I think that yeah. the I don't know I guess I, I'm like, I don't want to buy into the sort of meme hype of Uncup Gems just to buy into it, but mm -hmm. I, I don't know. I like when Adam Sandler does crazy shit. Who knows? He likes Sandler diamonds. Like, literally, Lakeith looks so good. Like, yeah. Eric Bogosian. Literally, good. Bogosian Hive. Yeah. Represent. Um, yeah. So we'll see. We're, we'll see. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm skeptical. I'm mostly, like, fascinated that this movie is getting made and, like, mm. interested in why Adam Sandler was like, what I need to do now is play a greedy Jewish diamond seller. <laughs> like, 
and the movie will be called <laughs> Uncut Gems, and it will be produced by A24. Like, what's happening? Yeah. Um, the Safdie brothers are strange little little guys. I don't really... I, I, I've only seen one of their movies. I can't say that I'm an expert by any means, but I think they hit with the <laughs> sort of neon noir, like, crime yeah. sort of, like, population of people. Yeah. Yeah, and we we love that. We love to see that. Yeah. Um, yeah. We'll see what happens. It's dirty. It's like, it looks grungy. It looks like a lot of people are going to be sweaty. Um, it looks sort of like gray and blue colors and lots of people wearing diamonds. There's the Furby diamond guy who I yeah. finally am represented in cinema. You're the Furby diamond. I really am. Um, wow. And that's been Gem Talk. Thank you guys for joining us. Thank you so much for joining us. Okay, second question. Yeah. Um, Tom, do you plan to see Joker or the Joker or whatever it's called in theaters? Like, what are you thinking? And will you dress up? <laughs> okay, so I, you know, was thinking about, you know, would I like to get arrested at the AMC cinema? Mm, probably not. <laughs> um, so arrested for Joker crime. Arrested for clown crimes. I I am the clown prince of crime now. Um, you so, are. It's clown time in the big city. Hong Kong. I don't think I'll be seeing Joker. I don't think <laughs> in any good conscience anyone can give their money to that movie, um, yeah. regardless of how much they like Joaquin. Which you know, I'm a sucker for Joaquin. I don't care. He may be an asshole, yeah, but he was good in the master. So. Hong Kong. There you go. Um, no, Hong I think Kong. it looks abhorrent. Um, you know, we'll see. We'll see. Karen Han was like, I love it. Tell me more. She famously tweeted as soon as the trailer dropped. And I was like, her mind is beyond what any of us can understand. Truly. I really do respect her. Like, whatever, man. I don't care. Like, her sort her, of... Her thing of just, like, loving at some men. And yeah. that's... KB, Karen's boys, niche boys. Um, man. Karen's boys. Maybe we need a new niche boys video. Hmm, this might be cooking. Like we don't already have enough on our plate. Sorry, say that again? Like we don't already have enough on our goddamn podcast plate. Like we don't already have enough on our plate. Yeah, you you really did all of the editing work last time. So really, if you want to do that again. Um. Ugh. I have to think maybe Go we should right just ahead. watch through all the movies in the Niche Boys video. Maybe that's our move. Yeah. Because we've got Godspell. Um, Famously, Good Omens already came we've out. We've got Godspell, yeah. Um, yeah, it's possible that every movie we watch on this podcast might be... No, that's not true, because the next one I'm going to make you watch is not... Oh, not now I'm going to sort of... Now I'm going to, like, piece it all together. I'm going to sort of... Mind Should hunter. I say? Should we do a next time on? Wow, let's do next a next time, time on. on. Oh, shit. Guys, this is an exclusive. Next time on. I was thinking I'm going to make you watch Norma Ray. You haven't seen Norma Ray, right? No, that's Sally Field. Yeah. Oh, I'm excited. Yeah, because I was like, okay, I need to pick an actually good movie <laughs> to watch. And that's an actually good movie. And I'll I, pick a really I, bad one there next was time. A, there was... What'd you say? I'll pick a really bad one next time. Don't worry. Yeah, please pick a bad one. Um, I there was a strong evil devil inside me that was like, make Tom watch Camelot, but I was like, <laughs> no, 
This is not Seth <laughs> makes Tom watch bad movie musicals time. Please. Was um, it made in the 70s? It was 67, so it's really stretching our window. <laughs> no, it counts. It counts. I want it. It's Sometimes a movie made in 67 is like a 60s movie, and sometimes it's a 70s movie, and Camelot is really a 70s. Like, it's so horny, <laughs> and like, and bad, and mm. oh, very, very sexy. Is Robert Goulet um, Arthur or Lancelot? Um, he's neither. Uh, Who am I thinking of? Yeah, he he covered one of the songs, but hold on, I have it up on my Spotify. Um, Vanessa Redgrave is Guinevere, obviously. Got it. Um, Richard Burton was mm. was King Arthur on stage, but then in the movie, it's Dumbledore. It's Richard Harris. Oh, King. Um, yeah, and 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 Lancelot is played by some Italian dude who's very handsome and Italian and just has an Italian accent. And Vanessa Redgrave left her IRL husband for him. And who Like, wouldn't? started having an affair with the actor playing Lancelot. Uh, fucking, like, respect, Vanessa. I love that. So cool. Um, great. Okay. Uh, uh, other questions for you let before me we wrap this up. Have you read The Sullivan Diaries yet? Obligatory. Hey, shut up. Seth, shut up. Literally, shut up. What? No. Um, what? We only... I haven't either. I haven't <laughs> read them yet either. I know. I like, I'm going to the, I might be, I, I'm probably going to go to the, like the book release party. I think it's next Tuesday. Yeah. Um, but I have not read it yet. However, I did run into Nikki. Hi, Nikki. Uh, not Nikki from Mikey and Nikki, but my friend Nikki in the waiting room of Planned Parenthood while I was waiting to go get my testosterone. Um, and nice. he was reading the Lou Sullivan. So he read me a couple passages um, I just, yeah. it makes me so I've, crazy. Like it makes me feel so crazy that I know I'm going to yeah. need to be ready for it. Yeah. Um, I've been reading the, the passages that Hal has been sending me and posting and it's every single thing in that book is crazy yeah. to me. Um, there's a part that Hal sent me about how, um, Lou Sullivan hung out with Lily Tomlin. What? Uh, one time. Yeah. Um, he was corresponding with Kate Bornstein, and Kate Bornstein was like, you should meet Lily Tomlin. <laughs> Lily Tomlin was like, what I love is to hang out with gay trans people. Literally, sh her mind. Her mind. Oh, man. We gotta watch a Lily Tom. Maybe we should watch, um, fucking Search for Signs of Intelligent Life in the Universe. Have you seen that? No, never. That's, All of Lily Tomlin. That's another. They're all playing it like. That's also barely yeah. a movie. No, it's just, it's barely a movie, and I feel like I should, I should be picking actual movies rather than stage plays that were filmed, but, no. um, maybe we'll watch it. Yeah. Um, I love you so much, and I do have to go to Brooklyn to see my little baby cousins. Great. Sounds good. Thanks for listening, everyone. <laughs> Thanks for listening, you guys. Um, Bye. Bye.